I invite you to take a Bible and open to the book of 2 Corinthians. comes right after 1 Corinthians. Uh, these are the first and second letters of the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Jesus in a place called Corinth. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're in a series entitled Heavenly Minded, and we are looking at what the Bible teaches about our ultimate future if we are believers in Jesus, if we belong to Jesus Christ by faith. And today I want to talk about one of the biggest reasons for doing this, why it is we need to know what our ultimate future is and why we need to think about it frequently. And that reason is to keep us from losing heart. We are people broken in various ways because of sin, and we live in a world that is broken because of sin. And in the midst of all of this brokenness, it is easy at times to become discouraged and even to think, why bother? Why bother working on relationships and loving people? Because you just get hurt. Why bother trying to make things better at your job or in your home or in your community, in your school, because somebody's just going to come along and mess it up? And for that matter, why bother praying? Why bother reading your Bible? Why bother worshiping, serving, sharing the good news of Jesus with others? Christians who do all those things, who are faithful to do what Jesus commands, still get cancer or have some other terrible thing happen to them. Trusting and obeying Jesus can be very hard even at the best of times. And there are times when it just can feel like it's just too hard. It's more trouble than it's worth. That's losing heart. That's what losing heart feels like. And it's a terrible, terrible place to be. But our God, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, He knows all about it. He knows that we're tempted to lose heart. And He has given us Remedies. He's given us an antidote. And one of those is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul talks about this remedy that God has given us for this temptation of losing heart. And the remedy that he gives is directly connected to the truth about our ultimate future. So let's pick it up. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, down through chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, I'm reading today from the New American Standard Version. If you have a different version, that's fine. Uh, the words will be up on the screen. You can, you know, some of the wording might be different, but it'll be the same basic message. So, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man, our outer person is 
decaying, yet our inner man, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Really, tell us more. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While or as we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by what is life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing To him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The antidote for losing heart is something that sounds really strange. It is to look at things you can't see. So in verse 16, after saying we do not lose heart, Paul says in verse 18, while or as we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. What does that mean? What does it mean to look at things that aren't seen? It means to focus your attention on something that you know is true, even though you cannot perceive it with your physical sight. You've got to use the eyes of your heart, so to speak, to perceive and embrace what is real, even if you can't actually see it right now. Now, Paul tells us how that worked in his case. Uh, If he were to focus on his current situation, he would probably lose heart. Because as he says, his outer man is decaying. He means... His body is falling apart. Some of you know exactly what he's talking about. And all the rest of you who don't yet know, will know someday. Unless the Lord returns first or you die first. He can't see as well as he used to. I was thinking about this the other day as I put my glasses on and I could actually see. And I thought, he didn't have those. Wow, he couldn't see as well as he used to. He, he can't move as fast. He doesn't heal as quickly when somebody beats him up for following Jesus, which happened a lot. And he talks about his earthly house, his body, being like a tent 
that's going to be torn down. And he talks about groaning while he's in this house. Paul is over the hill and he's picking up speed. We smile, we laugh, but when it's you, it can be very discouraging. Very discouraging when you can no longer do the things you used to do because of pain. (laughs) Or you've just lost an ability that you used to have. It's easy to lose heart, and yet Paul doesn't. In fact, he says he's not discouraged. Twice he says he's of good courage. Is he just, you know telling himself that but he doesn't really feel it no how how then how is he of good courage because instead of focusing on what's happening to him now he chooses to focus on what will happen to him later now don't misunderstand this It's possible to listen to this and think that because he's talking about eternal things, he's talking about things that are purely spiritual, and that's why he can't see them, because they're invisible. That's not the case, as we're going to see. He's talking about some physical things. The reason he can't yet see them is not because they're not real or they're invisible, it's because they're not here. They're still future. They're around the corner, so to speak. And they're just as real, they're just as certain as the things he can see, He's not indulging in wishful thinking here. He's thinking about things that he knows are real because they are based on the rock-solid reality of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection. Those are real events. Those are real events of history. And it's looking at these yet unseen things that keeps him from losing heart. And it will do the same for us. So what are these unseen things? They are three futures. Three futures that every follower of Jesus faces every day. And it's thinking about these futures that keeps him from losing heart. And you can see him doing it right here. You can see him engaging in this. So let's look at what he's looking at, and we'll look at them one at a time. The first and best future to look forward to is this. Jesus returns, and we experience our eternal destination. We get there. And one of these days, that's going to be what happens. And it's described here in a couple of ways. Paul talks about it like an earthly tent being replaced by a heavenly building. And then he talks about an earthly garment being covered over with a heavenly one. And both of these are pictures of bodily resurrection, bodily transformation. Notice Paul says he doesn't want to be unclothed and found naked. And he means there, he doesn't want just to be in some kind of purely spiritual existence without a body. The idea of being, you know, set free from the body, that had no appeal for him. 
So I mentioned last time, that's an idea from Greek philosophy. That's not from the Bible. What he wants is for his earthly, aging, decaying body, what a word, his decaying body to be transformed into an eternal body so that what is currently dying gets swallowed up by life. This is the purpose God prepared us for, he says. God prepared us for this this purpose, not for a disembodied existence in heaven. Now, heaven is real, and going there is awesome, but it's not as awesome as this. Because this is what God made us for. He made us physical, and He will resurrect us to a physical existence as well as spiritual and everything else. And it's focusing on His body being transformed into this glorious eternal body, into what it was meant to be. That's what encourages Paul. And it should encourage us as well. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You can't see what you're going to look like when that happens. I remember, uh, I think it's in one of C.S. Lewis' books. He talks about if you actually could see somebody right now in their glorified body, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship them. It will happen. So when you get up and you hurt, those of you under 40 won't understand this, but the rest of you will. When you get up and you hurt and the things that don't hurt don't work, (laughs) or, or you look in the mirror and you just think, my goodness, what happened? What happened? Or even worse, your body is afflicted with disease. It's not getting better. And it's just so discouraging. We have to remember, it's temporary. It's just temporary. One day, if you belong to Jesus, your body will be transformed What is dying or dead will be swallowed up by life and it will be glorious and it could be today, yes. So take courage from that. I ran uh, ran across a quote from John Piper that says this really well. Look at what he says. It seems to me that the hope of resurrection does not have the same place of power and centrality for us today that it had for the early Christians. And I think one of the reasons for this is we have a wrong view of the age to come. When we talk about the future and the eternal state, we tend to talk about heaven, and heaven tends to imply a place far away characterized by non-material, ethereal, disembodied spirits. Non-physical, in other words. In other words, we tend to assume that the condition that the departed saints, he means believers who've died, Departed saints are in now without their bodies is the way it will always be. And we have encouraged ourselves so much with how good it is for them now, we tend to forget it's an imperfect state and not the way it will be, nor the way Paul wanted it to be for himself. Yes, to die is gain. 
Yes, to be absent from the bodies, to be at home with the Lord. But no, this is not our ultimate hope. Our final destiny in our eternal state is not an ethereal, disembodied state in a distant heaven. It is to reign with Christ here on a renewed earth. This hope was so vibrant for the early Christians that they comfort each other, not mainly with the joys of the disembodied state after death, but with the hope of resurrection bodies. And one day, that will be what happens And it will be, in Paul's words, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. (laughs) I don't know what all that means, but it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. So that's the first unseen thing to think about, to look at every day to counteract the temptation to lose heart. Here's the second. The second best future on any given day is that we depart and we go to be with Jesus in heaven. So Paul doesn't want to be separated from his body, but he'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord, home with the Lord, than to be absent from the Lord and at home in the body. Now, you might wonder about that because you think, well, wait a minute. Absent from the Lord, don't don't we have the presence of the Lord as believers in Jesus? Yes, we do, but not to the degree that we will. Chapter 5, verse 5, says that the Spirit has been given to us as a pledge. That's a very interesting expression. It means it, His presence in our lives is like a, a guarantee, or this is going to sound crass, but the truth it expresses is amazing. A down payment for what's coming. The presence of the Spirit of Christ with us now is the promise of a far greater presence that is still to come. So if I've given you the impression by what I've said that going to heaven, because it's not our ultimate destination and because it involves being separated from our bodies, that that's somehow undesirable, let me be clear, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, and that's way better than anything we experience right now. Here's how he says it. Philippians 1.21, he says, For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, in light of that, let me raise an obvious question in this age of physician-assisted suicide that's presented as a remedy in the face of what looks to be pointless suffering. If going to heaven and being with Christ is so much better than being here, why not just speed up the process? Especially if we're old, hurting, dying. Why not just take matters into our own hands And in the suffering. Well, for one thing, suicide is self-murder. And the Bible forbids murder. But there's something even more important. Taking your life does not fit 
with entrusting your life to Christ and his leadership in your life. Okay? It, there is a, a sometimes unacknowledged arrogance in thinking we know better than the Lord of life and death. Because we can't understand why this life persists and why it's so painful. But you consider Paul's example. He's groaning with pain. He's hurting. But never once does he suggest taking a shortcut. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. You read the first part of Philippians where he's in prison. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. He has no idea. But it's not his choice to make. He leaves it with the Lord. He says he has as his ambition, whether at home with Christ or absent from him, to be pleasing to him. Many of us have been misled into thinking that the purpose of life, life is all about pleasing ourselves. And I confess, that's the way I was raised. That's kind of my default, you know, pleasing myself. Uh, and that might seem like the way to be happy. This is what's so ironic. It seems like the way to be happy would be to pursue pleasing yourself. It's not. Not if your goal is to be as happy as possible forever. Life here is not about avoiding all suffering and getting to Jesus as quickly as possible. By all means, let's avoid suffering when we can. Sometimes we can't. But life is about pleasing Him, and it's trusting Him. It's trusting Him to make all suffering worth it, even the suffering that looks utterly pointless. That's our fear, isn't it? Isn't that what we're afraid of? Pointless, meaningless suffering? And it can certainly look that way, and it can certainly feel that way, but it is not true if we belong to Christ. Paul says our afflictions, this is so key, Paul says our afflictions produce. That's an important word. Our afflictions produce an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Notice carefully, it's not saying... It's not saying that we will experience greater glory in spite of our affliction. It's saying we will experience greater glory because of our affliction. Somehow, the affliction that God allows, He will use to increase our eternal experience of glory and joy. And you you will maybe say, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get that. How does this suffering, how can this possibly bring about greater joy? I don't know. I don't know. Say, so how can that be so? Because Jesus makes it so. That's how. He makes our afflictions produce an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I don't know how He does it, 
But he does it. And the reason I know he does it is because he says he does it. So the aches and the pains and the struggles, which can at times, and you've maybe seen it, can be absolutely agonizing. They're never pointless. They're never pointless. And that brings us to the third future we face every day. We live today in light of that day. We live today in light of that day. So consider what Paul says here. He's taking it all together. He says that he has as his ambition to be pleasing to him, whether he's in the body or absent from the body, present with the Lord, be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? He's anticipating that. He says he walks by faith, not by sight. He says he longs to be clothed with his eternal dwelling from heaven. And he says that his momentary light affliction... Okay, I can't help it. I've stopped there. Um, Don't think when you hear momentary light affliction that Paul's saying, oh, it's nothing. This is easy. If, you know, he's not saying it doesn't hurt. You go, go read sometime through the book of Acts, just follow Paul's experiences and, and wonder along with me how he can possibly call those things momentary light affliction. It's not because they felt momentary and light. It's because by comparison, momentary as opposed to eternal light compared to the eternal weight of glory. Okay. He says all these things. What what is he doing? What is he doing? He's living today in light of that day. The day when the best possible future finally happens. So follow his logic for living here. If the best future doesn't happen today, and he doesn't find himself living in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth with the resurrected Christ, and if the second best future doesn't happen, and he doesn't get to depart and be with Christ in heaven, well, then he'll live today in light of that, those futures, and that will make today a good day. No matter what. Because one day he will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and how he lives today, how we live today will make a difference on that day. Jesus will reward him for trusting him, and Jesus will turn today's afflictions into a far greater glory. And that hope, okay, so that hope renews him inwardly day by day. So back when we, you know, first we're reading the passage, it says, our inner man's being renewed day by day. How does that happen? It happens by that hope. Focusing on that, is what brings about that daily inner renewal. And that's a hope that only Jesus can give you. Only Jesus can give you this. This is not wishful thinking. This is not just positive thinking. This is real because Jesus really lived, really died, and really rose again. And He really made these promises. So if your trust is in Him... If you receive Him, who He really is, who He really claimed to be, you receive Him and trust Him and stake your life on Him, then your future is always good. Maybe not, you know, the immediate future, but your ultimate future. 
I've had occasion to say over you know, the years, and now I say it to myself, your best days are still ahead of you. You know, as you get older, you kinda, you, the things you were looking forward to, more and more of them end up in the rearview mirror. It's like, well, that's over. Yep, that's over. That's over. And you can start start feeling like, man, my best days are behind me. They're not. If you know Jesus, you haven't even begun to experience your best days. If you know this, if you know Him, then when you wake up every day, you can be sure that one of three things is going to happen to you. Either Jesus will return and transform you, or Jesus will take you to be with Him before He returns, or you will live another day with Him at work in your life to produce an eternal weight of glory. And so you can live today in light of that day. So, if you think about this, there is never a reason to lose heart. Now, that's easy to say. But I know what it feels like, and many of you do, to feel like losing heart. And this is where it really matters to be a part of a community, including a small group, whatever, relational connections with other believers in Jesus. Because this is when we can help each other. Because there are going to be times when you just can't even see the unseen. You can barely see the seen. And that's when we need to help each other. And please listen to this. I mean sensitively, carefully. You know, what you don't do is when someone pours out their heart and tells you how much you're hurting, you go, no, that's nothing. Wait, Jesus got this. You're going to be great. Okay, that feels like you're absolutely not listening to the pain I'm feeling. That's not cool. That's not helpful. But with sensitivity and compassion, listen to the pain, empathize, and very gently point to the hope that we have in Jesus. Helping each other see the unseen. Let's pray together. Father, this is, uh, this is amazing truth. And uh, I confess... I've been prone, and maybe many of my friends here have been prone to forget about these things and to not look at them, to not focus on them, to not let them have that renewing impact in our lives every day. Will you help us with this? Will you help us with great compassion and sensitivity? Help each other see the unseen. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has yet to say yes to Jesus, and having a relationship with Him. May today be the day, or at least maybe it, could it be a day that they take another step in that direction and that you lead them, you draw them to yourself, you answer their questions, you overcome their resistance, and you bring them into your family. We pray you would do this for us. In Jesus' name, amen.